Welcome, friends, to our second season of the Reynolds Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reynolds, and this podcast is meant to encourage and bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and online at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey there, rappers. It's good to be with you today. I hope you're having a great day, and uh, we're going to spend some time together talking about some of Paul's letters in the New Testament. So I hope that you'll enjoy that time we have together for the next few moments. I want to begin also by saying that I want to encourage you to go check out the Ray Reynolds Rap website, uh, rayreynoldsrap.com. We're actually uh, putting out two new Bible class books this week or Bible study books. We hope you'll use it for personal study, or if you want to use them in a classroom setting, maybe you have a small group class, or if you're a preacher, you want to use them for a series, you're welcome to do that. Uh, I do put those on there for free. These are studies that I've done over the years, and I just uh, want to make sure that they're available to people to use. Try not to use the same material more than once. So um, I like to share and give other people an opportunity to use those uh, Bible class lessons or Bible personal Bible studies. So there are now 76, I believe, that are on there. And I'm trying to get through most of the New Testament books. I'm almost there. I think I lack maybe 10 New Testament books and we'll have uh, covered all of the New Testament books. Some of them are Old Testament, some of them are topical. But anyways, just go check them out at rayreynoldsrap.com. So in our time together today, I want to talk about uh, some of Paul's letters. And I know that if you are a, a, a student of the word, um, you're probably familiar with the fact that Paul wrote all of his letters to either churches or to individuals that were struggling for some particular reason. Uh, most times uh, you'll see through in in those books kind of where he's coming from, what he's dealing with. And uh, it's really interesting, too, because <clears throat> he will address personal issues. He'll address congregational issues, and he'll he'll also introduce some good uh, principles for Christian living. And I'll tell you what, I have loved studying through specifically the prison epistles. Now, I'm a, a minister, so I'm a big believer that uh, I had a professor one time tell me that you ought to read First and Second Timothy and Titus every week if you're a preacher. And I tried doing that early on. Um, those are great books if you're a minister. But I love the prison epistles. I don't know why I'm so drawn to those. Maybe it's because they're short and I have a very short attention span. Uh, maybe it's because uh, the content is, to me, more uh, applicable, I guess, for, for my life situations. But I absolutely love the prison epistles. Uh, when I begin to look through, and when I talk about the prison epistles, I'm talking about Ephesians, I'm talking about Philippians, I'm talking about Colossians, I'm talking about the, the, lesson, the, the books that he wrote when he was in prison. And I want to share with you just a few things about those prison epistles that really grab my attention and help me in my spiritual walk. The first thing is to realize where he wrote them. We call them the prison epistles because Paul wrote them while he was in a Roman prison cell. Now, when you read, say, Philemon, and you see some of the things that he had dealt with uh, and, and people that he had encountered, uh, guys like Onesimus, for instance, there in that book, uh, you also read how he is, while in prison, struggling through a few key issues that he can't fix. And that that may be another reason why I'm drawn to the prison epistles, is he's trying to 
fix problems with a church or with an individual. And he knows that not only is he is he not able to get to them, he's not sure he's ever going to get to them again. He doesn't know how long he's going to be in this prison. He 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 feels like it's going to be a short term thing. Uh, but there are some fears, especially when you get to like Second Timothy, it was written after he was released and then captured again, if you will. Uh, he felt like maybe that was the end for him. This was this was going to be the last letter he wrote uh, because he thought that that was going to be his the final straw. That for this, uh, for all intents and purposes, he's about to uh, die, and that's why he says what he says in the end of Second Timothy chapter four. But when you begin to look at uh, the way he handles the prison epistles, he talks about good things. And that, I guess that's one reason why I am so shocked by the prison epistles. How can you actually say things uh, that are positive when you're dealing with something that is so traumatic and negative? In fact, he will say, uh, in, in Timothy as an example, that most of his friends by that point had left him in prison at that time. And you can imagine if you're locked up, even especially if you're locked up for something you've committed, but in Paul's case, he's something he hadn't done. Uh, he could have had every reason to be vengeful and angry. And I watch these people sometimes on uh, on the internet, or I, I've actually had people that I've corresponded with in jail, and they usually are like, "Oh, I didn't do it. I'm not making. You know, I didn't. I didn't deal with this. This isn't me. I was innocent. I was. Um, you know, somebody has has uh, tried to." to to poison the court somebody has tried to frame me somebody is it's never their fault uh, and in this case it isn't paul's fault and paul could have wrote and maybe he did write some letters like this that i just haven't seen and you haven't seen but it seems like instead of dealing with why he's there and who should be in trouble for why he got there he's basically just saying to these congregations hey you need to have love you need to have peace you need to remember your faith in christ you need to think about your spiritual blessings uh, he talks about his prayer list. He talks about things to be thankful for. And that really hits me in the feels. It does, because whenever I'm struggling with something and I'm asking God to handle it and deal with it, and he chooses to say no, or he allows me to stay in it for a little while, and I don't want to have the patience to overcome it, I want to be able to have the strength to get through it. And there's a big difference between those two things. Uh, I can look to these letters and say, hey, I want to be more like Paul who can find in some way a positive spin on whatever I'm struggling with. In Ephesians, for instance, he talks about being made alive in Christ. He talks about unity in the faith. He talks about uh, the way he prayed for these people. He talks to him about being uh, the light of the world. He talks to him about being an imitator of Christ. He's talking about uh, baptism. He's talking about, you know, how to have a stronger relationship with your spouse. And and then at the end, he's going to talk about how you need to have the whole armor of God. Now that, to me, as I read through it, I see this is a guy who's saying, hey, I'm overcoming right now, and you could do the same thing. That's one reason why I'm drawn to Ephesians. He truly wants to tell people, you can get through whatever you're struggling with. If, if you will, just for a moment, He's trying to help you through your spiritual prison cell experience. He's saying the same thing to you as he was saying to these churches. Uh, you need to stop thinking about your circumstance, and you need to start thinking about what God can do with you in this moment. Quit worrying about the prison cell. Quit worrying about the trauma. Quit worrying about all the struggle. Quit worrying about the frustration in the moment. And start thinking about how God can use you 
right now. Now, I know this is somewhat uh, challenging, and I've had actually I've had some people that have said some things to me, and I, I'm not I don't want to offend anybody, but some of you listening, maybe maybe you were someone who said this to me, and I'm not trying to offend you or upset you. But I had people tell me when I was going through a season of, of struggle and suffering that I should stop um, recording Reynolds rap, that I shouldn't do the podcast, which I started the podcast long after a lot of that kind of was taking shape. Um, some people said, you know, maybe you shouldn't be in ministry. Maybe you shouldn't write articles. Maybe you should just take that time and deal with your pain uh, by yourself alone. And maybe they were right. Maybe they were right. Maybe I should have uh, checked into a monastery. And I'm not being I'm not being facetious or joking here. I'm saying there's some ministers do this. Uh, maybe I should have become a hermit for 90 days. Maybe I should have um, for a year. Or as I had one man tell me, I needed to do it for two years. <laughs> I don't know where he came up with that, but you know, for two years you need to kind of go off and be alone and and do your own thing. Well, all I know in my life is ministry. That's all I know. I, I don't know. I don't know how to do anything else. I, is, and this is beyond just what my degrees are in. This is beyond my experience. This is all I've ever wanted to do was to help people and to minister and to preach and to teach. I can't do anything else. I tried. I've tried to do other things. I just couldn't. I couldn't cut it. I can't do it. <clears throat> so I had to kind of have a, a, a reevaluating. And one thing is, too, I, I to be honest, I I couldn't financially. I, I could not stay stable doing anything else. I couldn't. I, I couldn't do um, sales, for instance. I couldn't continue to drive my vehicle for Lyft like I was doing for over a year. I There were times that I was so exhausted. I was working four jobs to try to, to pay the bills and still not getting them paid like I should. I'm telling you, it was tough. And people were telling me, oh, you need to you need to get out of ministry. You know, you can't deal with these struggles. And I'm thinking, you know what? I absolutely can deal with these struggles. And I can I can try to help other people dealing with it. Uh, even in the middle of the pain, I can help them deal with their pain. I'm sure I'm not the only person who has read the prison epistles and thought, man, this guy's upbeat. <laughs> you know, I, I just can't imagine being that upbeat in dealing with, uh, you know, a struggle, uh, a trial. And it really shocks me when I begin to see how he overcame all of these trials despite his prison cell. And I often, when I teach through the prison epistles, I'll say the way I picture Paul is kind of in this dark, dingy cell uh, where he is, you know, under such pressure uh, and very little food and kind of this very harsh environment. It's very different from where he is. We find him in the book of Acts where he's renting his own house and he, his, uh, his guards are more like secret service, you know? So that's the way I view his imprisonment at the end of Acts. But this is one where it's, it's probably pretty harsh. I mean, he's in Acts. We see the middle of Acts. He's got guys that are tempted to take his life. He's got conspiracies all around him. Uh, he can't make friends with some of the uh, judges and, and governors that uh, are holding him prisoner. So there's things like that going on, but he is just so upbeat. He's got so much joy and he can say there, not only in Ephesians, but also in Philippians, he could talk about how he's got this great joy and I've found in whatever state I'm in to be content. And I'll tell you, that's truly humbling. 
that's humbling to me because I'm thinking, I know I get down and discouraged and I know I don't say those nice things to God. And you start thinking, is it possible? And, and, and please bear with me. I'm, I'm being a little cynical here. But is it possible that maybe he's being sarcastic? Because he has a tendency to do that in Corinthians and in Galatians. Um, is it possible that he's just being sarcastic here? Is it possible that he's just overly being nice and, and, and positive for their sake? Or is he being sincere? I may be the only person that reads the book and asks that question. Because I read it and I'm like, wow, there is no way this guy can be so positive. But I would submit to you that it is my belief that he is absolutely sincere in the things he writes. I don't think there's a, I don't think it's dripping with sarcasm. I don't think he's being uh, overly nice and, and sensitive to his readers. I don't think he's trying to paint a perfect picture of being a martyr for Christ. And some people might accuse him of that because it's just, it almost seems out of this world, which it is because he's in tune with the spirit of God, which he deals with that in Galatians. He deals with that a little bit in, in Ephesians. So he, but he's in tune with the will of God. He knows exactly what God wants him to do. And that is so hard for us because we are too busy trying to figure out what we want God to do instead of what God is trying to do in our life. So when you read Philippians don't look at it like, and, and, and all the prison epistles, don't look at it like Paul is just, he has to write this letter to communicate to this church or this congregation needs to hear a word from him. No, he's trying to build them up because he has made a decision that in his spiritual walk, he's going to do everything he can to put Christ first and to honor his commitment as a soldier of the cross. He, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, I have found whatever state I'm in, I can be content. You think on these things, anything I've written to you, you think on those things. You think on things that are positive. He talks about unity and the bond of peace and all those things are right there in those prison epistles. He's writing about love and he's writing about patience and kindness and, and being good to others. He's talking about sisters that are having problems, which ought to not be the main priority of the church. These are things he's trying to, he's trying to build people up. And I do think we have a tendency, especially in our society where we're extremely blessed, uh, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves for constantly talking about all the bad, negative stuff that's going on. Is it happening? Yes. Should we ignore it? No. But we don't have to take it to social media. We don't have to take it to church with us and, and hang it all out to dry and talk about how life is so tough and everybody's against me. We got a couple of sisters in Christ, and I'm not picking just on the sisters, but I'm saying specifically, I'm thinking of a few sisters, which I will not name, that every time I pull up my Instagram or my Facebook, for some reason, the algorithm pushes it to the top, and they're whining about, oh, here we go. It's the end of the world. It's, oh, it started this morning when I spilled my cup of coffee, and it continued when I was 10 minutes late to work. And so then when real tragedies happen like sickness or death or, or fire or, or disaster or COVID hits your house, then it's like it's adding to this consistent drama. Now, I'm not saying you, you be real. You be you. and That's fine. But sometimes it really discourages me because I see some people, all they want to talk about is things that are negative. Maybe that's because they are negative. I don't know. But what I do know is Paul is showing us by his writing, 
his heart, his personality. You can't consistently be that positive unless you are that positive. Does that make sense? I've known some people that have said, quote, fake it till they make it, and they're trying to put up this image that they're good. I know a, a certain individual that she she told everybody she was positive and she was loving and she was kind and she didn't do any wrong and she just basically kept herself from sin and she was so innocent. And then I watched the way she talked to her kids and I thought, hmm. And then I watched the way she talked to her husband and I said, yep, this is a person who's being extremely fake. You are, if you're around someone long enough, you're going to see their true colors. They're going to show themselves. So if you have somebody around you that's constantly negative and criticizing and hypocritical and angry, you need to keep your circle a little smaller because it is going to have an effect on you. Just like if you don't think that's true, think about whenever you buy a bunch of fruit. And let's say you have an apple or an orange or a tomato or some kind of fruit or vegetable and it's in, a, in the crisper with something else. I talked about this just a few weeks ago in our, in our worship hour. Just uh, uh, right up next to something else. And one rotten fruit or vegetable is going to mess up the whole bunch. It's the same way. I used to hate that when I squeezed lemons for Annie Ann's Pretzel Store. I, I hated it whenever I would open that container up and there was one lemon because I had to throw away all the lemons all around it because I didn't want that to be, even though we were going to clean it and everything like that, we didn't want that, that lemon to have an effect on the whole bunch. And it does. When you have one sour lemon, one person that's been weaned on a pickle, they're going to affect everybody else around them. And then, and then you feel compelled, don't you? When somebody takes to social media or somebody is at church or maybe at school or in your workplace and they're just, oh, the world's against them and everything is terrible. And I'm just, oh, it's so bad. And uh, here we go again. And it's all caps and 16 exclamation parts in the text, exclamation points in the text message. You, you just, you know, you just want to kind of look at them and go, really? But no, what do you do? Oh, you love on them and you tell them, hey, it's going to be okay and you're going to be all right and I'm going to pray for you. And what we see here is a pattern of people that are around us that are, that are going to hinder our fruit. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to reach out and encourage people. Certainly, you need to do that. But I think we need to be more like Paul. And the problem is not how we process it. It's not how we view it. It's not what we say. It's not necessarily what we do or what we write. It's what's inside of us. Because if God's Holy Spirit is inside of us and we're letting it take root, then the only fruit that comes out are things that are of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are the natural, that's the natural fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so when you're around other people, they're going to have that influence on you. How did Paul come out of this? Was he unfazed? I doubt it. He was certainly phased by it. It had to make him harder. It had to make his life more difficult. But what he did was he chose to look inwardly at himself as the temple of the Holy Spirit, as he wrote to the Corinthians, and said, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit here and wallow in this? Am I going to feel discouraged about it? You know, he spends years in prison, years. And this is not like a six-month sentence. These are years he spent in prison. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? And I'm going to get myself out of this funk. I'm going to think about spiritual stuff. I'm going to, what did he do in Philippi? If that doesn't show you, he sang songs. That's what they knew him for. So when he writes the book of Philippians, of course, he's going to talk about positive stuff and being, you know, full of the spirit. 
That's, that's the type of person he was. He, he got to a point where he just allowed his mindset to be, wherever I am, God is going to use me. And whatever I'm involved with, whatever I'm dealing with, God is going to bring some good out of it. Read what he says to the Roman church. So this is, this is where we are. The prison epistles are written to us who are dealing with spiritual baggage, that are dealing with physical ailments, that are dealing with all kinds of frustrations around us, whether it be, and he talks about marriage there in chapter 5 of Ephesians. He's going to talk about relationships with your people you work with in both Colossians and Ephesians. He's going to talk about your relationship to sisters who are squabbling at church he deals with in Philippians. So all of these texts, all of them, show how you should react. But it's not, it's not necessarily a rebuke on the wrong thing, and it's not necessarily just a positive spin on everything. What it is, is Paul is showing us by his example, by his words, by his actions, that what really needs to shine forth is the Spirit of God in you. If the Spirit of God in you is strong, then your actions will be good. Your words will be good. Your intents of your heart will shine through. So that's where it begins. You don't make things right by writing a letter to somebody. You don't make things right by approaching someone and saying, hey, I want to make this right with you. No, 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 no. It begins inwardly. Paul's struggle on the outside is obvious. But what we don't get to see is the transformation that took place inside of him. We see a little bit of it in Acts 9, just a little bit of glimpse, but there was a lot that he had to go through to get him to the point to write the way he did. It took him years of inward thinking, of, of spiritual growth to get him to this point, and that is the testament of his life, is that one who is in tune with the Holy Spirit, one is growing in their spiritual walk, can talk like him and act like him and think like him. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's saying, I want you to see Christ in me everywhere I go. I want to, and he tells the Philippian church this, to be the light of the world. And we do that by being around spiritual people like him. And, and again, he didn't have those spiritual people in prison. He had to look inwardly. And so, sometimes we do that. We want to look for validation from all of our brothers and sisters in Christ and our friends. We want people to validate that we're being spiritual. And, and when we go to church, we want to make sure that certain people see us because we don't want them calling us and saying, hey, where were you? And we make just enough comments in Bible class or we, we, we sit just close enough to the pew or we sing out just enough or we put just enough in the plate that we feel good about. No, no, no. It's not about any of that outward show. It's about being changed inwardly. The inward man, as Paul says. And, and that's why his prison epistles are so effective to me. I get so much application out of them because I don't just see the words. I'm trying to see the man who wrote it. And I do think it is imperative that when we read a letter or we read a book, even from the Old Testament, that we try to put ourselves in the mindset of that individual. What have they been through? I can't read Daniel the same. Because once I realize the things Daniel had to go through as a young man, and I understand the pain that he had to endure and what he saw happen in Israel, I appreciate the stance he takes and the words he speaks in his book. Once I begin to really see the transformation or try to process the transformation that takes place with James, the brother of Jesus, and Jude, it helps me to really appreciate the letter 
that they have written. So before you pick up the prison epistles again and just start reading, trying to get encouragement for Paul, looking at it like Paul is writing straight to your heart, and you should, you should feel that way. But have an understanding of the man who penned it and what he had to go through and how God had transformed his heart so that he could write something that could transform yours. That's, that's, the, that's the blessing of reading these letters in the New Testament, to see what God did in James's heart and Jude's heart and, and Paul's heart and Matthew and Mark and probably Peter who influenced that letter and Dr. Luke who was influenced by Paul and, and John the Beloved and, and other writers of the New Testament, which we're not even sure who wrote some of the books. But think about the changes that took place in their mind and in their heart to be in tune with the will of God. This is really what it's all about. We can put worship first. It's important. We can put those things, uh, those good works that we do. Those are important. But really what we need to put first is our own faith and our own walk and our own touch by the Holy Spirit in our heart. That's where the transformation really starts. And then I ground that in Scripture and I I let it be blessed by prayer. And then those other things, those outward things take place. Maybe maybe one of the struggles we're facing in the church today, greater than trying to figure out how we're, you know, we're not growing and we're losing people and our young people are leaving and, and what kind of Bible class material we need to have and what kind of books we need to be pushing and blah, 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 blah. Maybe before we do that, maybe we need to start encouraging people to look inwardly to ask the question, are we truly converted? Are we full of the Holy Spirit? Could we, if we were in prison for our faith, write like Paul and really mean it? Can people count on us in difficulty and in pain and in struggle to say, I know how he's going to react to this. He's a modern day Job. She's a modern day Esther. Could they, can they see in us the image of Christ? Before we even speak, before we even do anything, is it just being around that person? I've been around some brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. I have some of them around right now that I can be just in their presence and know that they're a child of God. I don't have to hear them say a word. I don't have to see them do a single thing or volunteer for a single ministry. I just know it. And that's why Paul is so effective with these letters, because these churches passed them around. They said, this is real stuff. This is not just a letter to somebody. This is Paul writing from his heart because he has been impacted by Jesus. Look back in Acts 9. He's so sad about what he's done. He's fasting. He's praying for three days. The, the walk with Christ had affected him in every possible way. He wanted to be saved, and he was. And he's committed then from that point forward to save others. So I guess if I'm saying anything through this is, Begin to look inwardly at yourself and say, what am I doing to grow my spiritual life? What am I doing to build myself up to be more like Jesus? How can I be full of the Spirit of God? And it's really hard to do that if you're not sincere in your faith and you're not dedicated to studying the Word and you're not spending quality time in prayer, not just about the people on the list in the church bulletin, but about what you're struggling with and learning to count on God and believe on God and, and have faith in his deliverance. And even when he doesn't deliver, have faith that he's going to work it out for good. That's, that's the passion I see in Paul. 
That's what I see by his example. Man, I can't wait to meet him one day in heaven. I hope we all have that opportunity to do that. But I wanted to share that with you today. Again, the study of Ephesians and the study of Colossians, those Bible study books are now available at rayreynoldsrap.com, and you can download those for free. And um, just get your Bible out this weekend. This week, whenever you listen to this, get your Bible out and read those. It, It won't take 30 minutes to read one of those books. And let it bless you. And think about with every word, every line, think about the man who penned it and how God changed his life as a murderer, as a killer, serial killer, really, as someone who was violent against Christianity, changed his life forever. The same spirit of God that was in him, the same word of God that guided him is available to you. And it should change you like it changed him. And then write people like he did and encourage them and build them up. But be real, be genuine, and be positive. That's the way Paul did it. That's the way the church ought to do it today. Be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus.